What percentage of you thinks that those Kendall commercials led to this hire? I did not even think of <laughs> That was my first thought. I was like, oh shit, dude. Oh, Eat, eating sushi wow. and, you know, in the, the... This is their banana boat? This is, yeah. uh, it's, it's the Kendall, the Kendall commercials. Yeah, you might be right, man. Hello and welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 141 here in beautiful Chop Base. The Avatarier producers are barking at every single thing that goes by our big window out there today. It has just been one of those kinds of mornings. They are on guard, on their guard duty, doing their job. If you'd please be so kind, go find us at The Flock Pod on all of your major podcast streaming platforms. Make sure to smash that subscribe button so you get that fresh flockness in your feed. Also, make sure to give us those five-star ratings. And even if you're like a Spotify listener, just jump over onto that Apple podcast app and just, you know, subscribe. Give us the five-star ratings. If you're opposite, go and jump on Spotify. Do the same thing. Just really helps give us those little bumps in the algorithms if you'd be so kind. Also, please go find us on all of your major social media platforms at The Flock Bar. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are too old for TikTok, we have decided. So we have uh, re- resisted starting a TikTok up until this point. Um, I do still accept carrier pigeons here. If you want to send me a carrier pigeon and you want to talk that way, then we can figure that out. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same social media platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. Find me. At bartender Shane Six on Twitter and at Walker Flock of Shane Six on Instagram. Good stuff. And we are once again streaming live on StreamYard today. We're giving this another go. We're having some some laggy issues here, so stay with us if you are listening. If you're watching here live on the stream, stick it out. Uh, send us a question or two. We'd love to hear from our flockers out there. Uh, we got a little bit of a light podcast for you today. Got some National Signing Day information, some news coming down the pipeline. We got some. We got a date for Oregon's spring game, and then we're going to talk about some men's and women's hoops. I'll, I also got some big WNBA news that we can actually talk about at the end of the podcast also with Sabrina getting a new running mate out there in New York. But first, the South Carolina Gamecocks grabbed another running mate today with Nicholas Harbor choosing the Gamecocks over the Oregon Ducks. Um, a lot of the momentum had kind of been shifting back and forth the last 24 hours late last night. I really allowed my hopes to get up that it was going to be an Oregon crystal ball. Shane, what was your emotional roller coaster like here as we were following this recruit? Uh, I mean, I was always very like cautiously pessimistic in this one uh, just because of just kind of like the buzz that happened with Oregon and the timing that it did was always in that, that odd zone there. Uh, when South Carolina kind of made a lot more of that push late last night, at least as far as I saw, and as far as like some of the people that we know, Zach Neal included, reporting on it, that it was kind of like, Ugh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, his tape was something to be excited about. You know, if you watched his track and field highlights, it's just incredible to see somebody that big moving that fast. But my biggest takeaway is, you know, let's stay calm and wait this one out. And, you know, that Oregon <laughs> was in the running there and one of his top choices 
we know what track and field means to him. We know how much Hayward Field was a, an imprint on his recruiting trip. So, you know, a couple things don't go right in South Carolina. We know that he's staying close to home. We've seen other players who stay close to home and eventually think that, you know, maybe they made a mistake in not venturing out in their, their young college careers. So, and then we also see it on the adverse. People move away. You know, we've seen a lot of players come to Oregon from Florida, from back east. You know, that homesickness bug catches them and they end up moving back close to home. So, you know, I, I don't think this is over with the state of how college football is. You know, he signed there and, you know, that that's his his first choice. And I think he made a lot of people in his life happy with that decision. But it's Oregon. Seeing him in an Oregon uniform isn't out of the running for the rest of his college career. This again. I know nothing. <clears throat> I know I have no contact with his family. I mean, I'm literally just a, a, an observer, a fan here. But from the jumbo zoomed out view, it seemed like he kind of wanted to go to Oregon and the family wanted him to stay home. That, that's kind of just the vibe, the poll that I was getting, some of the reports that I was reading coming back and forth. And so I think you're right that he did make a lot of people happy when he decided to go. And I mean, home is, you know, relative in that sense. I mean, he's from, you know, the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. And now he's going down to South Carolina, so not too far away. But yeah, good for Beamer. Uh, good for Spencer Radler, maybe to have another big target to throw to there. Uh, Gamecocks look a little interesting here uh, in that SEC. Are they the SEC East? Or are they the West? Oh, man, I, I can't remember. Know. I can never I mean, remember. I think it's East. But, I mean, again, it's like, yeah, that you know, they're they're bringing in a lot of players there in South Carolina, but they're still in the SEC. They still might exactly. be a, a 500 team, even with all those five-star guys. And, you know, maybe that physicality is something like, hey, maybe I'm going to go out West and see where, you know, all the track stars are at and, you know, where we can play, you know, sideline to sideline. So, yep. we'll see. Well, and again, all this talk about, you know, Oregon – you know, leaving the Pac-12, Pac-12 falling apart, all this kind of stuff. It's Oregon's still up there for all these big-time recruits, even if they are still in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So people just need to calm down about that. Was the SEC part of his draw, wanting to go to South Carolina? Potentially. We don't know how much. Probably. But, I mean, it definitely probably had something to do with it, for sure, just to go play with uh, you know some of the best athletes in the entire country when it comes to college football. Uh, Oregon did get a big-time recruit today. Uh, they continue to load up in the secondary uh, four-star. He's technically listed as an athlete, but projected to play cornerback here at Oregon. Roderick Pleasant out of this is a Junipero Sarah High School out of Gardena, California. Nice try. Uh, yeah, it was a tough one. That was, nice. <laughs> I don't know what it is either, but that's a valiant attempt. Junipero Sarah, Junipero, yeah. something like that. Something like that. Uh, I like this kid's film. Uh, I mean, I watched a couple of them, just highlights. You know what I mean? That's all we can really find out there. Uh, what did you think when you were looking at this kid's highlights, Shane? Physical. You know, I sent you yes. that one highlight uh, where he is. It's, that's at a block. Yeah. You just light this kid up. And I think that was something that, yeah. And that's something that gets me excited with a, a player like that. You, you know, couldn't still find his, his role in this team with where he's going to play positionally. You know, he's projected as a corner now. We've seen that change so many times with these athlete guys. And it seems like he can fit in, you know, get in wherever he fit in. And uh, if he were to play on the offensive side of the ball, it looked like, you know, he he has those kind of skills. Uh, as you mentioned uh, in our text, the kick return game. Um, yes. It de- definitely be. It looks like, you know, you just he's a player that you want to get the ball in his hands. But, yeah, that was the first thing I looked at. I was like, man, if he played wide receiver uh, in that run game or in that screen game, he could be an absolute bulldozer. And uh, yeah, he definitely, you know, it's a, he brings a physicality that I think this last year's team was something that left a little bit to be desired. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, uh, he enjoys tackling. 
He looks yeah. like he really enjoys hitting people and tackling. I didn't see a single interception in his highlights, so I'm a little curious maybe about his hands there just catching the ball, but it looked like during the return game, no issues there, had some sure hands. Again, we don't see bobbles and stuff like that in highlight film, but he's electric with the ball in his hands, so I think you hit on an interesting point. Reminding me a little, this might be blast, reminding me a little of Seven McGee's highlight tapes, just when yeah. we had the ball in his hands a little at least. Uh, very, very fast, uh, and this is a, a high level track level athlete also so i'm excited to get him in an oregon uniform and see what he can do uh, again ducks you know list miss out on kayla presley headed to washington and all they do is go grab you know two other massive four-star five-star cornerbacks to add to this room that were both rated higher higher than presley so dan lanning does it again anything else on pleasant here before we move on no, no, it's just cool to see, you know, just like you said, just continue to grab these level of players. And it's it, it's really cool, too, that these guys like Pleasant, like, you know, they weren't the, the crown jewel of like Oregon Twitter, like most of the people in the recruiting world. And, you know, we look at missing out on one of the guys that they've really been drooling over for the past month. And then we get this consolation prize and you watch this tape and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it, it's funny <laughs> that, you know, we, we get so hyper focused on a couple of these these big names in these cycles when, you know, there's, there's a plethora of talent out there. And especially when you're looking mm -hmm. at the high school level, I mean, there's just, there's so much to choose from. So, I mean, to have this be kind of like an out of the blue pickup and then I go and watch his tape and I'm like, Oh shit. Oh shit. You know, Oh shit. And it's just all these wrinkles to his game is, is really awesome to see. Yeah. Well, and Oregon's now going to have a plethora of options at that cornerback position. Man, I love that word. It's such a good word. Uh, all right. Another big news announcement coming through Oregon announced the date of the Oregon spring game and Oregon fan favorite for sure. That first opportunity to get in on Austin stadium, I'd say it's like 75% chance that it's a beautiful day. Just the, the football gods seem to bless us on spring days for whatever reason. True. Uh, April 29th is going to be the Oregon. So put that on your calendars. Now I think a one o'clock kickoff is what I remember seeing. So I want to get yep. there a little bit early. You know, some things we're looking forward to. We've got, you know, the new offensive coordinator come in, Will Stein. What's what's that offense going to look like? You know, Shane and I were kind of talking here pre-pod, and it's going to be interesting to see how much information we actually get in that spring game and how much of a download we're able to get. But it's still exciting just to see what kind of wrinkles he's going to throw out there, how much, you know, shotgun we're using, how much under... I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see the, the sets more than anything, the formations. And of course, my guy, Ty Thompson, hopefully getting some reps in that spring game also. Sheen, is there, is there anything else you're looking for? Do you usually go to the spring game? Are you a spring game guy? I used to go a lot uh, back in like a lot of my football going days. I actually haven't been in Autzen Stadium in like a few years now. We need to um, rectify that this season. You're coming with me for a game. Yeah, I think this year I'll, ma I'll maybe make it to one. There's just a, there was a lot of moving parts in my life where I was living, making it to Autzen, COVID. Uh, I don't know if anybody heard of that. But I'd say the, <laughs> heard of it? Jeez. The, the biggest thing I'm looking at is uh, year two of the spring game under Dan Lanning and just how he kind of chooses to package it, prepare it and show it to us. And uh, yeah, because I mean, last Good year, point. you know, it was, you know, how he came in. It was, you know, it's a little bit later in that cycle and everything. So this year, now that he's kind of settled, we know him as a coach. He's built himself up as a more of a pillar in this community. So you know, how he chooses to kind of do this moving forward. 
Absolutely. Well, and I think it was, that's a, it's a really good point that we didn't talk about before because Chip Kelly kind of started to put his own little spin second and third season on the spring game. Chip really leaned into, you know, the military appreciation aspects of it and things of that nature. So that's, you know, we'll, we'll see what Dan decides to do. We'll see, uh, we'll see what direction he goes here with the spring game, but uh, exciting to have that date on the calendar. I'm a big spring game fan. Uh, Mega loves it. It's just a great opportunity to get back in Austin stadium. So hopefully we can have a flock pop reunion maybe at the spring game i uh, actually got to see uh, shane in person over the weekend that was kind of oh, a yeah. trip yeah dropped in on the old scribbles and watched a little football and whatnot and for all of your football watching or bar needs make sure to check out scribbles bar and bistro deli and bistro bar and bistro what's the uh what's the exact... i'm just mixing it all together i like it dude. yeah just throw it's, it all together it's yeah, whatever okay. you want it to be <laughs> that's yeah. exactly what scribbles <laughs> is baby uh, i love it all right let's talk about some hoops here shane I recently cut the cord with Xfinity. So there's there's positives and there's negatives that come along with that. But one of the negatives I'm really finding is Pac-12 Network. You cannot get Pac-12 Network anywhere else. So it seems other than Xfinity. And it's just, it's very frustrating. So right now I'm kind of stuck watching like these YouTube clips. You know, they kind of chop the games up into like half an hour videos and I'm able to watch those. But I don't feel like I'm getting the full the full vibe of the game. You know what I'm saying? So Shane, tell me about this Colorado win that the ducks had, and then we'll jump into Utah a little bit after that, but big time win, 75, 69, no in folly Dante, Nathan Biddle steps up, even gets a tech in the game. Cause he's flexing on people. Yeah. Tell me about this game for the ducks. Yeah, this was awesome. And uh, I can speak from a lot of experience cause I was at this one and not only was <laughs> I at this one, but uh, my friend who had, had given me the ticket scored him from somebody, one of his regulars at work and they were, Probably the best seats I've ever had at Matthew Knight. Probably about, I'd say about 10 rows up, but directly at half court. So it was not so nice only having to move your head so fast the game. But yeah, it was a, it, it started out as a little bit of a rock fight. Oregon did kind of catch their momentum offensively uh, first and really, really had a better offensive showing than we've seen in a while. It was, it was interesting because Colorado was shooting better from three, but Oregon was shooting better from the field. So it was this kind of odd juxtaposition. Um, the big breakout story of the game, though, was Nate Biddle um, getting that start within Folly Dante sideline for this entire game. And like you said, flexing on people, which was a dumb play. And he was arguing the technical. <laughs> and it was like, bro, he like leaned over to like to yell at this guy, like after I he had one or a dunk or something. It, it was great in the moment. At one point, he had three and it was shown to the crowd like a pro wrestler when he was running back. I mean, he had Matthew Knight in the palm of his hand in that game. There's a couple things that he did that didn't really jump out to me, but my friend that I was watching the game with, uh, Drew Chester, is a bartender over at Quackers. If you ever go find yourself Hey-o. in my neck of the woods over here and you want to catch a game, another cool bar to check out. Um, but he was saying that how good of an offensive game Biddle had, he probably should have had probably about 15 more points. He was getting really good seals and really good deep post position early in transition. And over and over again, the guards just either weren't finding him or jacking up a three, which it seems like this Oregon men's team, their identity needs to be a team that gets that lives and die by playing in the paint and getting the ball yeah. near the rim. But they just shoot threes at nauseum, which is it's so perplexing because they are at this point. There's enough proof in the pudding. They're a bad three point shooting team. But the other thing that Biddle did that was pointed out to me was uh, when people drive on him, he's incredibly good at staying vertical and keeping his verticality. Uh, Several Mm -hmm. plays where he didn't even get blocks. He was challenging shots. And just the fact that fouls weren't called when it seemed like the ref himself was about to blow the whistle just with how 
downhill the ball carriers were. And it was some just uh, it was some next level basketball stuff in that Colorado game. And he was really able to take it over offensively and defensively. He had his mark all over that game. There were well, some bigger you- issues, though. Yeah, and what was unique about this game is that the Ducks were really over, able to overcome themselves. You know, 18 turnovers in the game to Colorado's 11. Uh, the Ducks basically shot themselves to victory in this game, which is unique for this team, to say the least. As you as you mentioned, uh, shot the ball really well from the field, 49%, 26 of 53. A better three-point percentage, 7 of 19, going 36%, 37%. So you like to see those numbers up a little bit higher. But, yeah, they, they really won this game despite themselves. And it was it was a battle down to the very end, you know, with fouls and whatnot. And Colorado's scrappy. You know, that's one thing you can definitely say about Colorado. I do want to give uh, Keyshawn Bella Bartholomew a little bit of shine. Also, playing against his former team, goes out there, scores 13 points. Also, uh, I was pretty hard on uh, – Cousinard on his defense on the last podcast and I actually saw a couple pretty impressive possessions from him in this game where he seemed like he was just a little more locked in uh, got his got a couple deflections seemed like he was bending his knees a little bit more I'm sure Matt made Dana happy out there but just seemed like he was a little bit more locked in on the defensive side so that's something I'm gonna definitely keep my eye on as the season continues just how he plays on defense and how that affects the team as a whole because the rotations did seem to be a lot better I only saw maybe one or two situations I mean there was one terrible one where Will Rich and Bartholomew went for the ball fake and kid got a wide open shot in the, in the corner there but for the most part the rotations were quite a bit better in that game this team seems to be moving in the correct direction. Again, we've we've kind of buried them to some degree, but they're sitting at 13 and 9, 17 and 4 in the conference. They're fifth in the Pac-12 right now. <laughs> they pick up another big win against Utah. I mean, what is if you were to give just kind of a a state of the team on this program right now? I mean, would you say this this team's at least moving in the correct direction? I mean, obviously picking up two wins is good, but we know that you can win games and still not be playing the way that you want to be playing or still moving in a proper direction from a momentum standpoint. So what do you think, Shane? Is this, is this team going in the right direction? Uh, Yes and no. Um, They're still playing way, way under their potential. Uh, There were several points in this Colorado game where my friend Drew and I are sitting there watching them on offense and being like, what are they even doing? Like what, what even is this? It was, it was interesting to see Dana kind of flip his lid. We were sitting close enough to the bench to really be able to hear some of the stuff he was saying. And about halfway through the game, if you'd made a mistake, you were coming out of the game. It didn't matter what your name was or what your role was on the team. And in the second half, Colorado throws this full court press, but just an absolute trap monster press where they were trapping with everybody they had near the ball. And we're watching Oregon's offensive players be beyond half court standing there with their hands on their knees. And it was like, what is going on? And that was where a lot of those turnovers came that you were talking about. It was just this five minute span where they couldn't handle this press at all. And it was that paired with uh, we didn't hear a single screen get called out and guys were getting absolute level. Uh, There's two plays where Will Will Rich's head looked like it was going to come off of his shoulders. And so while you go out and you see them get that win and then you see them kind of come out with a a much better effort against Utah, but something we didn't see against Utah was Khalil Ware on the floor. And after he got absolutely chewed out against Colorado and several times where he was taken out just for not really moving on defense and being super heavy footed. And it's, to, to sit that close to the bench, it's interesting because his reaction, not one that a coaching staff would want. Uh, it, was, it was a very muted response. He wasn't firing himself up. He wasn't getting mad. You almost w- would have rather see him kind of like get lippy or be like have an excuse for what he was doing. Be like, oh, Absolutely. you know, blame it on something else. It was more just like, 
ah, I just don't really give a shit today. So it'll be really interesting to see how this team looks moving forward because Dana has absolutely put his foot down as far as like the effort department is going to go. And we're seeing some guys shine within that. I think uh, Gary is playing a little bit better. I think Priest Roll is playing better. And some of the guards that you mentioned, I think Bartholomew, you know, the way that he plays. I want to see Rigsby get a little bit more run out there. But, yeah, it's it's really interesting because they are at kind of this crux in the season where they are playing better, but at the same time it almost looks worse on the floor than it did earlier in the year. Um, well, and we're going to so, find out yeah, real quick. Where, yep, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out real quick because they go to Tucson tomorrow night at 7.30. So just so everybody knows, we are recording Wednesday afternoon hopefully get this pot up by this evening but yeah this is uh this is going to be an angry wildcat squad after the ducks beat them in matthew knight so it'll be very interesting to see yeah waxed them them. waxed them yeah absolutely neutered them basically uh it'll be interesting or is it neutered or i guess spade i don't know what the yeah i guess depends on the depends on what kind of is is the wildcat a male or a female is is the the wildcat i I mean I don't know. That's that's a tough one right there. But yes, the Ducks have a big it, time test coming up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a cow bowl situation. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So uh, headed down there to Tucson, big time game. Uh, and that Arizona State game is not a cakewalk either. Uh, he's got that team playing. Uh, Bobby Hurley's got that team really playing at a high level down there in Tempe. So this this road trip on multiple levels is going to be very fascinating to watch. I mean, how much time does Kalel Ware have out there on the court? Is Infale Dante healthy enough to get out there and bang against those Arizona bigs for, you know, 28, 30 minutes in that game? That's going to be a really, really big sign for this Duck team looking forward. All right. Anything else on this men's team or should we jump over to the women's squad? You know, looking forward to the next two games, I'm just looking at how uh, with Infale Dante's health coming back and his role increasing, if uh, Nate Biddles are able to carry momentum and how Dana kind of manage having those two bigs. Uh, if he's going to have them mm-hmm. split or out there together, is something to watch as Nate yeah. kind of, he's really on ascension right now. Well, and this is kind of what we talked about in the last podcast, that this was an opportunity for, for Dana and Kelly both to pivot. And how were they going to pivot? Mm-hmm. What was that going to look like? We didn't get exactly, you know, in Folly Dante's injury kind of threw a wrench into that. So we didn't really get to see necessarily what the Ducks were going to do with a full roster. But seeing Biddle get that kind of playing time, see where kind of fall off a little bit, that it, you're right. That's going to be very interesting to see if they decide to go two bigs out there and then get Lock worse some more playing time as your backup big, or if they're going to just going to go the one big and the four wings, which I actually prefer. And that's what we talked about on the last pod also, just getting some more of that four out, one in action for this Oregon Duck squad, get some more um, mm-hmm. get the paint touches, make it a little bit easier. Uh, all right, let's jump over here Post to the women's side. For sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Dana's not, sorry, I keep going back, but Dana's not running that pinwheel offense that he usually does nearly as mm-hmm. often. We're seeing a lot more. He's horns. not really running much of an offense. No, we're seeing just general. a four it's... out one in dribble drive almost. It's very mm-hmm. un Dana Altman esque in that way. So curious to see if we get back to some more, I mean, just put Will Rich and Biddle or Dante into some more p- pure pick and roll. You know, let Will mm-hmm. Rich kind of create off of that and look to get some shooters, some more better looks because he's good in the pick and roll game. I don't. Well, especially yeah. get that pick and roll coming from the weak side so you can isolate that yes. uh, or you can clear out of the corner and then really make that a two man, a pure two man game going towards mm-hmm. the rack. And I think that you're yeah. going to have a lot more increased production. And then from there, if you want to kick it out, it'll at least be late enough in the shot clock. If you hoist one up, I won't put my fucking hands in my face. And be like, Dude, <laughs> why are they shooting another one with 30 seconds left on the clock? 
Oh, Rolando Suarez. Oh, my goodness, buddy. Oh, my goodness. All right. Women's side. Decent weekend for the women. Uh, big, nice win against Cal, 78 to 73. Tough loss to number three, Stanford. Uh, the women's team now 14 and seven overall, five and five in conference, eighth in the Pac-12 standings. Uh, I did not get a chance to watch the Cal game. I did watch the the recap of the Stanford game. So, Shane, let's, I'll throw it to you here first. Tell me about that Cal game and what you saw uh, when the Ducks played down there in Berkeley. You know, they, they played good. It was nice to see uh, GVS get going a little bit earlier in yeah, this one. Absolutely. But uh, yeah. just the... It, it's one of the only teams in the Pac-12 where it's like, okay, Oregon's clearly better than this team. You know, there's only, I'd say, there's like two teams left in the Pac-12 that Oregon, we can say, is like, you know, that the the talent differential is just really, uh, you know, under the microscope there. Mm-hmm. But GVS mm-hmm. gets going a little bit early. Uh, Chance Gray gets going a little bit early. I would still like to see Taya Hansen in, in that starting lineup and have GVS coming off the bench. I think the way that Kelly Graves is doing it is just kind of sticking with this traditional lineup. It just doesn't really benefit them because once start matching based on how the game is going, that's when we see these runs coming out. And it's actually when we see them better on defense, too, because they're a little bit mo- more mobile in the pressing game. Other than that, it was just, you know, they kind of got out early. They played fantastic. No, had no. Uh, they were just kind of the better team. So it's, it was there was a lot less to take away from that win than I felt like there was to take away from the loss against Stanford. Absolutely. I think you hit the the very first thing you said was the biggest thing. It's it's a GVS bounce back, you know, to see her go out there and play well, you know, put up 20 and nine with the two dimes. That was the biggest thing that you can take. And you just took care of business on the road in the Pac-12. Not an easy thing to do, even if you are the more talented team. Now this stand, I mean, excuse me, number two, Stanford. I said number three earlier, number two, Stanford. This game, I think <laughs> they were they were three at the time. They were three at the time and now they're two. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what that's what yeah, was going on. Ohio State lost. Yeah, that makes sense. This was an interesting game from a, just watching it from a coaching perspective. This was one that when we got into the locker room after the game, I'd almost just want to give my squad a hug. You know, mm-hmm. they played hard. They played really hard. When you shoot 20 whatever percent they did from the field, what was it? 25% from the field, 20 of mm-hmm. 80, Shane, 20 of 80. You're just not going to win many games at all. So the fact that they only lost the number two team in the country by eight just shows how hard they battled. They did the little things really, really well in this game. They out-rebounded Stanford, which is something to say. Definitely on the offensive side, Filipina Che was just a rebounding machine. I'm I I walk away from watching this game pretty pretty optimistic. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Stanford is by far the best defensive team in the country, I would say, just because of their versatility. What they have with Haley Jones, Cameron Brink, and uh, what was that third woman's name? Uh, Hannah Jump. And with with uh, Jones and Jump, and then Cameron Brink, I mean, defensively in this game was a masterpiece. I don't really know what she ended with. Nine blocks? I think she had nine blocks blocks at the end of the game. School record. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, had six in the first half. That was her third straight game with at least six blocks, which is just remarkable. Insane. But how what they're able to do, just you know suffocating the guards and you know zone man press half court the trapping defense everything is so good. So it was an absolute boxing match because I think Oregon also played a really good defensive game. I thought Kelly Graves had a really good defensive strategy of basically like, hey, we're gonna let everybody on this team except for two players shoot threes, and we're just gonna play a numbers game. Unfortunately, the only 
bad thing that came out of that was long shots, a lot of long rebounds. They were able to extend a lot of possessions that way. And when Oregon was able to build some momentum and get the game to within two possessions, Stanford was able to get, you know, as many possessions as it took over there with getting uh, offensive putbacks to kind of keep Oregon at bay. But yeah, I mean, it was like you said, I mean, they just they completely went out there and they worked their asses off. But you could tell by the time they got a lot of those open looks, they just didn't have their legs underneath them yeah. because the rest of the game was just so scrappy. And we saw Basham <laughs> get out there. I mean, we got we saw the, the bench get used. So we know that, you know. He, Kelly Graves was trying to manage this like almost like a you know like a soccer game like using yeah. just use as much steam as you have and then I'm going to put somebody out there to give yep. you some relief. Well, and I mean we we were texting about it, but Haley Jones, she's just a game wrecker when you play against her. I mean, eight points, that's nice. Four assists, that's cool. Shane, she had sixteen rebounds. Sixteen and had, rebounds and three of those four assists, I think you said, were on three consecutive plays. Yeah, she's so fun to watch. She's just, I'll be, I'll be applauding. Uh, she heads to the WNBA this oh, season. She's, <laughs> and it's funny because like you can read her stat sheet and you're like, yeah, it's a sixteen boards and it was an impressive game, but like just all over the floor with how much she's involved in their offense and with the dribble handoffs and then she can bring the ball up. And if she gets a rebound and they get on transition, she can basically, there's a couple plays where she just took it, you know, end to end. Uh, And then in transition, she had that one handed backdoor pass, you know, for that assist down the baseline. It's, she is just incredible. But the one thing that I want to say is that I really hope that some of these Oregon freshmen took that game as one of the most valuable learning experiences they've had so far, because when I watch, the young players between GVS, Chance, and then when you look at, you know, Filipina Shea still being a younger player, Basham's being a younger player, that that team is what they could look like in about two years, is like yeah. a version of that. You know, mm-hmm. Filipina Shea being a little bit older, but being that she could be that defensive kind of, you know, powerhouse. And we've already seen how well she rebounded against Cambrink, which I was really impressed with. And then, you know, GVS looking at Haley Jones, like, you know, if I can improve my ball handling and if I get a little bit stronger, that's the type of player that I could be. Chance Gray could look like some of those shooters out there and, you know, just being able to be that last, you know, not the last option, but that safety valve outside. So when you work the ball inside, you get all these open looks and you're just going to be, you know, with these crazy high three point percentages. And I was really impressed with PK in this game. I mean, Filipina Che, 17 boards, just to, you know, outdo Haley, Haley Jones by one. But her touch around the rim really seems to have improved. <clears throat> and she's doing a really much better job of staying balanced. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helped with her, just her footwork and her core strength. And just so I'm, it's really fun to watch her improve. And <laughs> you could say a lot of things about Chance Gray. She is not afraid. No, she is not afraid of the moment. She's not afraid of going against big players. I mean, there was one play where she had Haley locked on her one on one and she's like, OK, all right, this this is my moment now. I'm going to break you off. Mm-hmm. So that was it's just it's just really fun to watch this team. And I hope I hope yeah. Kelly's having fun she's coaching a, a team like this. Yeah, she's a killer. She's an absolute murderer. So I, she's going to get better and better. And again, with those those studs coming in next year for this team, I mean, this this Oregon future is very bright. But as the as we look forward now towards the rest of this season, they need to get some wins. They need to get the, this ship moving in the right direction. And they've got a cup, you know, a tough couple of games here coming up in Matthew Knight Arena with or with uh, the mountain trip coming their way. Uh, Colorado coming in, that should be a win. But then you've got number seven, Utah coming in. That's the game that I think we've got circled here for Sunday at two o'clock. Uh, well, how are we feeling about that one, Shane? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you said Colorado should be a win. I don't know about that one. I mean, Colorado had a full head of steam, and then they just kind of stumbled a little bit and going yep. to Los Angeles. So, 
I mean, Colorado has been the the big surprise team of the Pac-12 of the first half of the season. So we'll see now that they've had a little bit of a hiccup if that first half was a little bit more of an outlier. But, I mean, they might be playing more pissed off now than they were in the start of the year. And that's a scary sentence to say. And then Utah went against UCLA, something that was a real hard fought down to the wire game. They also have a ton of momentum coming in, too. Um, The good good news Oregon team is neither. They're one of those we just saw against Stanford. So this yes. should be a little bit kind of like taking the, the donut off the bat a little bit in some sense. But, yeah, it's nice that it's back home. But, it, yeah, this this Pac-12 is crazy. I mean, some of these teams that we looked at as the, the wins that you had to get are now looking at, you know, being top 25 teams in the country. So it was nice to see them kind of get that win against Cal. That's why I said I didn't really have a lot to take away from it because it's one of the only teams that I don't really see as a ginormous threat. But, yeah, these next – two up-and-coming programs in women's basketball. Well, and both have struggled a little bit more on the road this year than they have at home. I mean, combined, Utah and Colorado have well, lost one game at home all season, <clears throat> and then combined, they've lost six on the road. So that's that's kind of the, what you're hoping for if you're a Duck fan. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll go to that game on Sunday. Getting ready for, for a trip, but that might be kind of fun to, to go watch some women's basketball on Sunday. All right. Anything else on this women's basketball team before we uh, move on to last take, Shane? Uh, no, because the last thing I have to say about it is my last take. Oh, I like. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's yeah. jump right over. Let's, let's jump on that segue. And Shane, give us your last take for today's pod. So my last take is that uh, you were just kind of touching on it as we wrapping up that last segment about the women's basketball team is going to be that Philly Shea is going to be a first team all Pac-12 performer next season. Oh, I like prediction. it. I like uh, it. It's I've kind of been, you know, beating a dead horse on this one, but just every week, the improvements that she makes uh, in her game. And this last week against Stanford was no, uh, you know, was just going along with that, that, she had, was going outside and getting these these slip screens and these uh, everything coming off the of screens from out the three point line. Her footwork looks so natural; it's crazy for somebody who's just kind of learning these things. And a lot of these younger players, they can kind of, they end up traveling a lot, especially when they're trying to like seal and get uh, get post passes while gaining possession from you know coming from the three point line down to the block. So it's it's just it's incredible to see how how advanced she is, and I think that coming off of those injuries from last year and kind of this year, you know, not thinking that you're going to be a starting center and being thrown into that position and with a full off season after this year that we're going to see her not, you know, comparing her to Cameron Brink kind of sounds hyperbolic, but I think it's going to be that level of play. Yeah. Or I, think, I think she has that kind of potential, that level of production. She's not the athlete that Brink is, you know, just from a, mm-hmm. a movement standpoint, but I think that she definitely has the body to be able to put up those kind of numbers and the mentality because she wasn't afraid in that game either. I mean, Brink kept blocking her and she just kept right, going right back after her. And in the second half, you could tell that the coaches gave her a cue to use that lead shoulder better. And she mm-hmm. was doing a better job of clearing space as she was going up for that little lefty jump hook and also just clearing space on rebounds using, using that body a lot better. So that was really encouraging to see. And, like you mentioned, this team, it, it's only going to get better. Next year is going to be really, really bright. The end of this season is going to be really fun to watch. My last take, Shane, we're going to jump back over to the oblong ball. And I think this time next year, we're going to be talking about Justin Herbert finishing in the top three in MVP voting. Because I think Kellen Moore 
is going to actually elevate that Chargers offense. And I think that they're going to finally listen to us and draft some team speed onto that offense to give him some more weapons. Uh, I really like the numbers that I'm seeing just in the improvements that Kellen can bring coming from Dallas. Uh, some of the things that he was doing with Dak on first and second down seemed like the chargers were content to just, you know, kind of play old school football, you know, let's get to second and six, let's get to third and two, those types of things. And uh, Benjamin Solak has just been beating this into the ground, but it's, it's a good point that, I mean, the NFL today is, you know, first down, we're looking for explosive plays. We're not, we're not just content to get four or five yards on first down. We're trying to get touchdowns on first down. And I think Kellen brings that kind of a mentality to that Chargers offense. So I'm actually, I mean, I've kind of picked the Chargers as my side team. It's been a tortured rooting experience, honestly, the last couple of years. But I, I'm a little, I'm feeling a little optimistic. Feeling, feeling good about this hire. I like this hire. What do you think? What percentage of you thinks that those? Kendall commercials led to this hire. I did not even think about that. <laughs> that was my first thought. I was like, oh shit, dude. Oh Eat, eating sushi wow. and, you know in the, the this is their banana boat. This is yeah. uh it's it's the Kendall, the Kendall commercials. Yeah, you might be right, man. I mean, these interpersonal things, you know, definitely have a stronger dynamic than uh, we can give them credit for from the outside. But yeah, you might be onto something there. I did not even think about that. Well, it's Justin funny probably to him was like, "Hey, this guy was really cool. Like, we yeah. had a, we had a couple like good coffee, you know, mead talk. Like, hey, let's hire this guy." Well, you know, I wonder how many you know conversations in between takes. Kellen Moore is like, oh, "Hey, my man, gosh. you know, if only they had you running." You know, I'm not smart enough to you know fill in the blanks. If they had you running, blah 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 blah. blah you know then you'd be throwing, you know, da, 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 and, you know, they're probably having those conversations as quarterbacks. They're both from the Pacific Northwest. You know, there's, there is a relationship. They did multiple commercial shoots together. Those things take a lot longer than people think. They probably had a lot of, a lot of conversations built a little bit of relationship, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, I think it's great. And anything to, I mean, it's, it's crazy that head coach still has his gig, but yeah. Uh, but at least that you know this is the type of offensive coordinator to have a shakeup and you know give that that boost to Justin Herbert because mm -hmm. it seems like throughout his entire career, unfortunately, coaching has kind of been holding him back. Oh yeah, going all the way back to high school. Absolutely. Exactly, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Oregon, Sheldon, you know what I mean. He was never he's never been putting up the numbers or gotten like the national recognition that I feel like he deserves for an individual talent. A little bit last year, but it was still like this. As an NFL player, he's still like this next up, but hasn't actually done the thing mm -hmm. where a lot of he started actually got that label of being kind of overrated. And I didn't disagree with it because on multiple NFL shows, they're just talking about how great he is. And we still hadn't seen him do it yet. I mean, it's there, you know, the people who know the game and know the throws, it's there, but we still haven't seen that major success yet. It's true. It's very true. And I think next year we're going to see it. I think the only reason why Brandon Staley is still the head coach of the Chargers because the Chargers are really cheap and they're already paying two head coaches right now. Or they're paying, including him, I think three head coaches. So they didn't want to fire him and then have to pay him. So I think, you know, and they also yeah, played a stadium that they don't own either. They pay. Oh, rent, it's, so Yeah, it's it's a weird situation for the Chargers there. I wish they just got to San Diego, but that that ship has already sailed. You know, Oregon could use an NFL team. I don't know. It's weird that like, you know, an NFL team can be bad at the business side you know what i mean like isn't that weird that like justin herbert goes to work and he's like dude my boss doesn't actually know what he's doing you're like here's coach no 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 the owner of the team doesn't know what he's doing no idea 
well, I think you, I think you see that across sports uh, even more frequently than uh, than we might think. You know, I yeah, think it's just it's weird because out there, yeah. they just seem like if you're gonna own something, you're like, oh, I own this NFL team. Oh, so you must like print your own money. Oh no, it's actually cost me like millions of dollars every year. Well, I was listening. Sorry, this is a weird tangent, but they were talking about it with the Bengals and how the Bengals ownership is not, you know, the like multi-billion billion type owners. And so they're probably going to sign Burrow earlier rather than later because the when you sign a contract, that money has to go into escrow. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these weird escrow rules. And so with like their big time extensions coming up with Burrow, Chase, a couple of those guys on that defense, it's just, I don't know, the business side has kind of been fascinating me a little bit more over the last couple of months. So it's it's interesting to kind of learn more about the the ins and outs of it. But it's 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 interesting how many bad businessmen have made billions of dollars enough to buy sports franchises. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it boils. I mean, this is a much like bigger, bigger, but I think it boils down to a lot of people having a lot of money and owning businesses that they shouldn't have any business running at that time. And they don't actually do anything there. And then they get their ego all boosted up and they're like, oh, I own the Knicks now. And I, blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, speaking of which, I'm going to jump back into succession after we get back from Vegas. That's that side. Uh, oh, that. season four comes out right after The Last of Us. And have you been watching The Last of Us? I haven't. No, Bro. I'm not. I know. I know. I know. I've seen good things. I'm not a like it even took me a long time to get into Walking Dead. Like I'm not a zombie dude. I'm not yeah, a, they're like... not like zombie zombies though. It's a little bit. It's like a little bit of a different spin. Like it's okay. not just like right. the walk. It's like this fungus because it's based on a video game, which I didn't know until the third yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big gamer. I'll just throw that out there. And I saw like based <laughs> off of like PlayStation, and I'm like, whoa, 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 go back. And I like, had to pause it. Yeah. Uh, but man, yeah, it's fucking. It's good. And it's uh, the guy who was in Mandalorian, Diego. Uh, oh. Papa Pascal. Yeah. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. There we go. Yeah. I love that guy as an actor. He, uh, um, one of my favorite characters from game of Thrones also just an mm-hmm. incredible actor, that guy. Uh, how's your, how's your Andor watching going? We have, we put down another episode well, of Andor yet? Not yet. Well, cause I went to log <laughs> into it the other day and then I still haven't done the thing yet. Oh, so, you got to yeah. re-log back in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. All right. I think we have reached, once we start talking about Andor, we reached the end of the podcast. <laughs> As always, take care of your chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 Shout a little bit louder now.